The scripture today is from Mark chapter 4, verses 1 through 20. Again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. And the crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and sat in it out on the lake while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge. He taught them many things by parables and in his teaching said, Listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. And as he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants, so they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew, and produced a crop multiplying 30, some 60, some 100 times. Then Jesus said, Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. When he was alone, the twelve and the others around him asked him about the parables. He told them the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to those on the outside, everything is said in parables so that they might be ever seeing but never perceiving, and ever hearing but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. Then Jesus said to them, Don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? The farmer sows the word. Some people are like the seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Others, like seeds sown on rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. And when trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Still others, like seeds sown among thorns, hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Others, like seeds sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop, some 30, some 60, some 100 times what was sown. This is God's word. Let's pray. God, we are thankful for your word that teaches us. We are thankful for um, the way that you open our hearts. And I pray, Father, that this morning as we look at these words that you would teach us, that you would tell us what we need to know, to know this morning. For it's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. All right, listen up. Do I have your attention? All eyes forward, thanks. I want everybody to pay attention. Now I want you to put on your thinking cap because I've got a story for you. Now what I'm about to say is really important, so I want you to think about it. So a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the hard road, and sparrows and grackles came and ate it up. Some fell on that thin layer of topsoil covered in about six inches of clay. That's most of central Illinois. 
And it sprang up quickly because the soil wasn't deep, but the sun came up and plants died because they had no root. Other seed fell among the thistles and the dog band, the goose grass and the pokeweed. Aren't those great names? <laughs> Which choked it so it didn't produce. Still other seed fell on good soil and produced 80 acres a bushel or some of them 100 acres a bushel and some of them still 120 acres a bushel. Amen? You got it? You got it? Good. You know, Jesus had said in the passage that Karen read that Jesus spoke in parables. And so if you were sitting in that crowd or standing in that crowd listening to Jesus, you would have heard those kinds of sayings one after another. And then Jesus says to disciples, don't you get this? Get, so how does that relate to why did Jesus speak in parables? You know, a lot of commentators call this the archetype of the parable because it enables us to see Jesus' teaching, but enables us to, to understand that he means more than just the words on the page, that there's an underlying meaning inside the parable. If you were hanging about Jesus, this is exactly what you would have heard in American vernacular because the text says Jesus starts up at least in Mark with the word here as a command. And he starts up the next word, some of your versions say behold, which means perceive. It comes from that word in Greek means not, not just see it, but understand what's going on. So Jesus comes up and he tells his people, listen up, I've got something important to tell you. Then he tells them the parable. Why? Why does he tell them these kinds of parables? In Isaiah chapter 6, which he tells the disciples later on, he, te- he talks about the ministry of Isaiah. Isaiah, in this particular passage in chapter 6, went to the people of Israel for 60 years preaching the same message over and over and over again, and nobody responded. So this, par- this style of Jesus' teaching is to arouse people's curiosity. And you notice that a little later on when the disciples were hanging about Jesus, they were, they were wanting to know what this parable was. It wasn't just the disciples, but it was other people too. So he aroused that curiosity. It's kind of like when you go to a conference, and you notice when you go to a conference, there are some people that sit right down up front, and they're eager to hear the speaker, and they're taking notes, and they're listening to every word. And then you have the people in the back who aren't necessarily there because of the speaker, but they're there because of the food maybe. Or, you know, and they're thinking while the speaker finishes, the, the people up front, they come up and they rush the speaker because they want to get their question in and talk to the speaker and find out what he is because they just love what he had to say. And the people in the back are going, I wonder if we're having the chicken again today. I don't know. But that's exactly why Jesus was talking to the parables. It wasn't, it wasn't the exclusivity what, of Jesus, but it was the responsiveness of the people. So to understand the, the parable of the sower this morning, we're going to look at the three main subjects of the parable. We're going to look at the seed, we're going to look at the soil, and we're going to look at the sower. Isn't it amazing that all three of those started with S? Because I didn't plan that, but God must have. The big idea this morning is we're going to think about hearing. We're going to train our, training yourself to listen to God allows his word to penetrate our heart to the core so that everything we say and do springs from that word. Everything we say and do springs from the core of our heart. First, let's understand the seed. 
To understand how the message of God penetrates our heart, we have to understand what was being sown. And so when Jesus was explaining in verse 14 what the word means there, he says, the farmer sows the word. And the word word there is the word logos. The word logos has a lot of different meanings. It's pretty rich with meaning. And it's the same word John uses in chapter 1 when he says, in the beginning was the word. It's that same word. And the word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things, I'm just making sure I got this right. Uh, all things come into being through him and without him, not one thing was created. Is that right? Let's see. Through, through him, all things were made and without him, nothing was made that has been made. So your memory only works so good until you get old as I am. Then it goes away. But, The important thing to realize is that the word that God used is a creative power. The word that God, when God said, back in Genesis, we go back to Genesis and God said, let there be light. He didn't have to go into his workshop and build a light. He didn't have to discover light. He didn't have to build electricity. When God said, let there be light, there was light. It just appeared. That's the word that the sower is sowing. The word that the sower is sowing has that kind of creative and restorative power. It's Hebrews chapter 4 verse 13 says it is living and active. The word active there is energy, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. It's If you want to change your heart, if the word that the sower is sowing wants to change the heart, it's only the word of God that will do that because, not just because it's words on a page, because it's power, because it's the same power that God has. 2 Corinthians 5.17, this says that if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone away, and behold, the new has come. Again, behold, that's that fun word which means pay attention, the new has come. So that kind of word is the same word that the farmer, that God, is sowing to his people. But he's sowing it somewhere, right? So we have to figure out, we have to look at the kind of soil that, has, that is being planted. So to understand how the message of the gospel penetrates our heart, we have to look at the soil. There are four kinds of soil, if you were counting, which I know you were because you were paying attention, Right? Right, so there's first the hard soil, there's the rocky soil, there's the weedy soil, and then there's the good soil. We're gonna look at those four pieces, those four soils, and try and understand how it responds to the sower who is sowing that seed. The hard soil is the seed that lands on the surface. Now, a really good example of this is back in Mark chapter three. If you turn back to Mark chapter three, In verses 1 through 6, it says this. Another time he went into the synagogue, he, Jesus, went into a synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked him, Which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they remained silent. 
he looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts and said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. That's the word of the God. Stretch out your hand. And it restored his hand to life. But look at the reaction. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. Such a weird reaction to the word of God. But it didn't penetrate their heart. Their heart was just as hard. And so that miracle that Jesus performed there right in front of them, all they thought about was that he's violating the law. He's doing something wrong. He's usurping our power. And so their response is, we should kill him. That's the hard soil. The other kind of soil that he talks about is the rocky soil. It's soil which just has a little bit of topsoil and then the rest is clay. You love that. So they hear it and they receive it. But it doesn't, but it, and it springs up right away, but it doesn't last very long. And I'm thinking about that conference, aren't you? You're thinking about that conference with those people who come for the conference only because they want to get somewhere sunny in February? Or the people who come to a conference, not to hear the word, but they only come for just a little while uh, to get uh, better food. I don't know, sometimes at conferences that doesn't work out. But anyway, the people in, in Mark chapter 3 again are following Jesus around. Jesus, in, in verse 7, it says, Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the lake, and a large crowd from Galilee followed. And when they heard what all he was doing... Many people came to him from Judea and Jerusalem and Idumea and all the regions across the Jordan and around Tyre and Sidon. It's like everywhere. Because of the crowd, he told his disciples to have a small boat ready for him just to keep the people from crowding him. For he had healed many so that those with diseases were pushing forward to touch him. Whenever the evil spirits signed, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God! But he gave them strict orders not to tell who he was. Now, try and picture that scene in your mind. I'm, th- I'm thinking about when my sister took us to SeaWorld all day long. Now, in our family, we like to go to things for a couple hours. And we got to SeaWorld at 10, and we didn't leave till midnight. That's longer than I appreciate anything. Plus, <laughs> plus I was soaking wet all day long. But that's beside the point. So we're standing there at the last when I was shooting off the fireworks, and everybody was there. The eye had people all around me, and they're shooting off things that explode. And all I could think about is, if those fireworks go wrong, I don't have anywhere to go. I have two smallish kids with me right now, and, I'm, and I, I can pick one up, but I can't run anywhere. That's the kind, and people were shouting, and screaming, oh, well, they weren't there, but they were in Jesus' time. They were screaming and sending people going on the ground and evil spirits coming out. And all amongst all that noise, people love the show. Isn't this great looking? Don't you love, let's go see that Jesus because I'm bored and it's better than what's on TV tonight. So let's go see what's going on with Jesus. And so they go there. But the minute Jesus' message touches on something that's, that they can't expect something that's hard, they fall away. They are, the Greek word there is where we get our word scandalized. 
they fall away from Jesus because they're expecting entertainment. They're expecting Jesus to make their life more comfortable. But the minute it because gospel touches something in their life that they want, then they say, oh, I'm, I don't want to have anything to do with that because that's just ridiculous. It reminds me of that quote from C.S. Lewis. He says, imagine yourself as a living house. God comes in to rebuild that house. At first, perhaps, you can understand what he's doing. He's getting the drains right and stopping the leaks in the roof and so on. You knew those jobs needed done, so you're not surprised. But presently, he starts knocking down the house in a way that hurts abominably and does not seem to make any sense. What on earth is he up to? The explanation is that he is building quite a different house from the one you thought of. Throwing out a new wing here, putting on an extra floor there, running up towers, making courtyards. You thought you were being made into a decent little cottage, but he is building a palace, and he intends to come and live in it himself. See, we think, those people think, this crowd of shallow soil people think that Jesus works for them. I want Jesus to come in, straighten out my life, then when he's got all my bad habits straightened out, he can go because I'm fixed and I'm good and I'll be fine all by myself. But the minute Jesus starts knocking about my life and bringing up sins that I don't want him to bring up, then I say, no, I don't want to have anything to do with that. That's the kind of rocky soil that, that the seed is. It goes in just a little. And I heard one preacher say, just enough, they have just enough Christianity to make them miserable because they don't understand that. The third kind of soil is the weedy soil. It's the seed among the thorns. And the problem with that soil is different because it does go down, but it's on the same level as, as, uh, as the weeds in their lives. And Jesus brings up three different things um, that he wants that, uh, that are sucking the life out of the word of God in their lives. It's the first thing he talks about is the worries of the world. And the, and the word there means divided mind. And you've seen those people before where they have a set of principles. And sometimes those principles are, are godly. And then uh, without, without warning, they'll switch to a set of principles that aren't so godly when it's convenient to them. So they're going back and forth because the gospel and whatever other sense of principles in their lives are on the same level. So it really doesn't matter what they choose. Is this important? Is this important? Yeah, they're about the same. So I'll just make that choice no matter what I want to do. Those are the worries of the world. The deceit of richness is, riches is the concept of, of an over-reliance on myself, that, that all the things that I have, I made it myself, so I don't need God. And finally, and where I want to camp for just a little bit, is the desire of other things. The word here is... Uh, that he uses here is an important word because it's used throughout scripture. It's called, and the word, the Greek word is epithumia. So you want to say that with me. That's the only Greek word you're going to use today. Epithumia. Say that. See, you're still awake. That's good. That comes from two root words. The first word, epi, which means focused on, and the second word, thymos, which means passionate desire. Focused on a passionate desire. And Tim Keller says in, one, in a lot of his sermons is that it is a negative word. It means an over-desire, an inordinate desire, a drive for something that is good but has become an addiction for you. You see, 
That's the epithumia, that's the desire for other things. When they're deeper than the gospel in your life, when that's the most driving thing in your life. And there's, I could preach uh, several other, well I could steal several other sermons from Tim Keller to preach on that particular concept. It's really rich and I put some in the study guide where you can find two series that he preached on those particular concepts. But that epithumia is, is critical because it drives your behavior. When, it's, when it is the lowest, when that addiction drives your behavior, then, then your life is a mess. Because it's not who we're listening. It's, it's not the right person to listen to. So the fourth kind of this, three kinds of soil that we've talked about so far is the hard soil. Remember the Pharisees, they can see a healing makes no difference to them. The second kind of soil is the thin soil, and those are the people who are into Jesus just for what he can do for them. And the third kind of soil is the rocky or is the weedy soil, and that's the soil we just talked about where Jesus is uh, where Jesus is at the same level in your life, where he is not the deepest part of your life. And the last soil is the good soil. That's the soil we all want. That's the soil sometimes we all think we are all the time, right? I'm the good soil. The interesting thing about that soil is that we, is that Jesus says, and let me go back to four, um, others like the seed sown on good soil, three things happen. They hear the word, they accept it, and they produce a crop, 30, 60, or even 100 times what was sown. Those three actions, when, when you have prepared your heart in the proper way, Jesus says, when I sow that seed on your heart, then, it, then the first thing that happens is I hear it, same word that, that he said in the beginning, listen. The second word, or actually hear, but not listen, but hear the word. The second thing they do is they accept it. And, and, the, and that gives the impression of accepting it close beside so the, some translators call that receive it with delight. And I love that translation because that's really what happens. When you hear the word of God and it hits your heart all the way down, you go, that's exactly. That is the pearl of great price. That is the thing that's going to make all the difference in my life. That is the gospel transforming my life. And the result of that is not just a plant growing up. But the result of that is other seed. The gospel at the root of your life does more than you know. That if, you're, if you are implanting the word and you act out of those principles, then you have no idea, but God does, you have no idea the other seed that is being sold, sown because of your life. So first we talked about the seed. Remember? The energy of the seed, the active word of God in your life. The second thing we talked about was the soil. That's what we have an ability to, um, to cultivate, the right so- soil in our life. And the third thing we're going to talk about just briefly this morning is the sower. To understand how the message of the gospel penetrates your heart, we really have to understand the sower. And to get a good picture of that, we want to go back over to Mark chapter 8. Now, what's interesting is when you read back in four, so don't flip back and forth, but if you go back in four and you're reading about the gospels, Jesus says to the apostles, Jesus says to you have been given this gift, right? And so the disciples are thinking, yes, we're in like Flint. 
We have salvation, life is good, we're following Jesus, we're doing everything right, we're the good soil. Right, till we get to Mark 8, let's look at Mark 8. So, this is what happens. And there's a lot of drama here, which it'll take us a minute to get through till we get to the important part about the disciples. But it's fun. So during those days, another large crowd gathered. Since they had nothing to eat, this is verse one, Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people, for they've already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. If I send them home hungry, they will collapse on the way because some of them have come a long distance. His disciples said, but where in this remote place can anyone get enough bread to feed them? He, Jesus asked, how many loaves do you have? Seven. He told the crowd to sit on the ground. When he had taken the seven loaves and given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before the people, and they did so. They had a few small fish as well. He gave thanks for them also and told the disciples to distribute them. The people ate and were satisfied. Afterward, the disciples picked up seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. About 4,000 men were present, and having sent them away, they got in a boat with his disciples and went to the region of Dalmun, that word, Dalmunetha. I can't say it. Anyway, they went somewhere else. Here is the best part. Well, the worst part, really. The Pharisees come and begin to question Jesus. To test him, they said, they asked him for a sign from heaven. So what just happened there for, did you see all those baskets of, you want a sign? But remember, these are the Pharisees. Hard heart, they're not going to get it no matter what. And so he sighs deeply. (sighs) How long? Why does this generation ask for a miraculous sign? I tell you the truth, no sign will be given it. Well, except for the ones, the people being healed and the gospel being preached. But other than that, there's not going to be any signs. I always wonder if that's sarcasm. So I, I tell you the truth, no sign will be given to them. Then he left, got back in the boat, crossed back to the other side. So here's the part you want to pay attention to. The disciples had forgotten to bring bread, except for one loaf they had with them in the boat. Jesus says, watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. They discussed this with one another and said, it's because we have no bread. So they didn't ask Jesus, who's on the other side of the boat? No, they're over there and says, oh, what do you think he meant? I don't know what he meant. I think it's something about bread. Yeast, Pharisees, has to be because we only have one loaf of bread. And you know we're going to starve. It's that one loaf. It's not a very big loaf of bread either. Who made that loaf of bread? It's not very big and it doesn't have very much stuff in it. Aware of their discussion, Jesus asked them, what are you talking about, having no bread? Do you, do you, were you with me? <laughs> with those 4,000? Do you not see or understand? Are your, and this is the scary part, are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see, ears but fail to hear? And don't you remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many basketfuls of did, pieces did you pick up? This is what I think they're doing. 12. And when I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? Seven. And he said to them, do you still not understand? 
The word there for understand is put it together. Synthesize is where we get that word from. Have you not put it together? I am the son of God. You need bread? No problem. It is a, what's that passage? It is a small thing for God to give us all bread. But here is the son of God. Watch out for those other things that will take that away from you. You know, the longer I'm alive, the longer I understand that my heart can be any one of those things. It can be the hard ground. It can be the thorny ground. It can be the weedy ground. It can be the shallow soil, or it can be the rich soil. At any time, my heart can be that. It can be that even in a day. But what I'm wondering about is the sower. Because you know what? He doesn't care where he's throwing that seed. He's throwing it on the hard ground. He's throwing it on the, the, the weedy ground. He's throwing it where, where it may not grow, but still he's lavish about that. Now what kind of God does that? It's the kind that's not willing for anyone to perish, but for all to come. It's the kind who, in Ephesians, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It's the kind who says, if anyone seeks me, he'll find me. I'm convinced that when the sower is sowing, that that call is coming every single day. And the restlessness that we feel in our lives is because the sower is sowing that seed, but we haven't quite learned how to listen to God. Over and over we, hear, we hear, see the words, but we haven't learned how to listen. And all that does is it just causes us to be restless. The band is coming up behind me. I see them. They're, and they're going to play a great song Uh, by Switchfoot called Restless. We're going to do something really weird to end this series, which I think is appropriate for a series on weirdness, is they're going to play this song just to get our hearts ready. And then we're going to sit here in silence. And you can sit here, I did talk too long, you can sit here for five minutes, or you can sit here for an hour. We don't care. But the rest of us, when you want to go, just go quietly so you're not disturbing other people. And we're just going to try and learn or begin that process of learning how to hear God. On your seats are these little three-by-five cards. And if if you feel God talking to you strongly and you need to write it down, that's what those cards are for. But for now, let's, let's listen to the sower sowing his seed.